tonight, the North Korean hackers going even further. This was just the latest in a series of leaks. 143 million Americans, one of the largest cyber attacks in this country's history. Estimated losses from these breaches in excess of $20 billion. Hello and welcome back to Decrypted, a cybersecurity podcast for the everyday American. I'm your friendly neighborhood cyberman, Jacob Besida, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Dayton Williams, that policy wonk. How you doing, Dayton? I'm doing good, Jacob. It's been a, a wild few weeks here at Brown. I miss you so much. Miss you too, Dayton. <laughs> well, things are about to get more wild. It's Midterms are quickly approaching, so today's subject is going to be on the idea of election hacking and how possible that is. Oh, election hacking. We've, we've talked about election hacking in the past, and we've talked about Russian trolls and troll factories and uh, collusion and the Mueller investigation. So today on the podcast, we're going to touch a little bit more on election meddling. This meddling preys on the human beings behind a political system rather than the infrastructure that enables democracy to happen. Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about the sort of electronic ballot stuffing sort of techniques, but also what goes into the election infrastructure itself. Right. Like any modern infrastructure, America's voting system is composed of machines. Lots of machines. As you said, some scan votes on hand-filled ballots, and others directly record votes via computer interface. Like, you ever been to the DMV before, and you do your little uh, driving test on the computer? It's very similar to that. But, like, how secure are these machines, Jacob? Like... When in interfering into an election process, can these machines that record and count the votes be manipulated? I think whenever you're dealing with technology, you automatically have to start thinking about the cybersecurity concerns that come with it. I mean, anything that makes your life easier probably makes it that much easier to, to mess with, frankly. <laughs> uh, but you know what? We're going to turn to an expert on that, and he's going to have a lot better thoughts on it than I will. So to have a functioning democracy, you need to be able to vote. On the functioning of democracy... Despos and politicals alike have said that it's not the voting that matters, but it's the counting. In the 21st century, we count by machines. Control the machines, control the count, control the results. In a process as sacred and important to the trust and functioning of a democracy as voting is, confidence in an election is critical to the success of a functioning government. If you undermine that trust, you can undermine that government. And in the last few years, we've seen troubling efforts by foreign powers to, to push the scale of an election in their favor. Leading up to the 2016 election, Russian cyber operatives scanned the online systems of 21 states. Scanning the systems revealed to the Russians how the voting systems operated and what vulnerabilities were possible to exploit. In Illinois, the online voter registration system was attacked, leaking the personal information of 200,000 voters. In Arizona, an election official opened a malware-infected phishing email that caused the state to take its system offline as a precaution against compromising the election. That's right. The Election Assistance Commission the federal agency that's in charge of regulating voting machine security, was also hacked. Before the election, a cybersecurity firm alerted that the FBI of a Russian hacker was selling the logon credentials of 100 EAC employees. Now, I think this is a bit of an issue, but I've never heard about the Election Assistance Commission before I started researching for this podcast. Did you? No, I haven't. Yeah, I don't think a lot of Americans really like understand the, like the technological, bureaucratic system that's behind voting i think and I, I don't know about you but i've really taken voting for granted you know my my 23 years of life <laughs> on this planet sure I'd, I'd also say that in light of all of these breaches there is still no recorded breach of actual votes being tampered with in the united states that we're aware of right right and i think that that in of itself is something to be very thankful for especially when you hear um about the different 
voting frauds and, and ballot stuffing in other countries. Um, there's a really famous case in uh, Iraq during um, Saddam Hussein's regime regime in uh, Iraq where they 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 stuffed ballots so consistently that, that like uh, nonprofits who were pro-democracy in Iraq at the time could predict the results before they actually came out. Um, that's how like consistently hacked, I guess, or consistently stuffed the ballots were. And I don't I don't think that's what we're facing here in the United States. Uh, certainly not. But I, uh, as you'll come to see with uh, our guest's conversation, he expresses the opinion that it's kind of hard to form a baseline of what you expected someone's vote to be because that's not public information. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I think and that, there's problems with verifying that. Mm, right. And the decentralized nature of voting systems also make them super ripe for exploitation. Like many voting machines aren't even manufactured in the United States. And they're filled with hardware and software from China, mostly. Foreign manufacturing increases the likelihood of backdoors being built into the system. In 2016, DEFCON, which is a cyber conference in Las Vegas, hosted a hacking challenge to test the security of popular voting machines in the United States. Hey, I was there this year. Oh, yeah. What was it like? Did you see this? I did see this. It was quite cool. You know, there's a, they're just really kind of demonstrating the vulnerabilities of this system. It's an older system uh, that's kind of been discontinued. But, you know, they're just showing, like, this is not a viable means of counting, this particular setup, you know. And it, I guess it really goes into showing these vulnerabilities, especially when you're um, looking at foreign manufactured goods in this particular instance. I mean, we already have the we already have issues with software with, like, Kapersky Laboratories. Yeah, so the report after DEFCOM highlighted that the supply line challenges to voting machines compose one of the most direct threats. Where are these machines coming from? Because voting systems have a wide range of actors in charge of the manufacturing and distributing of these systems. There's like a large surface area to exploit. And as, of, as we've touched on in the past, the larger the surface area, the more vulnerable you are. For instance, experts at this conference highlighted that Russian hackers chose to send phishing emails not to polling station managers, but employees at voting services companies that then would provide state and local election officers with voter registration systems. And after compromising one of the vendor's email accounts, the Russians then sent spear phishing emails to over 120 local and state officials. Now, there's no official data here saying whether or not those phishing emails were successful, but it's reason to believe that if 120 people got an email from the company that gave them the voting systems, they would open them and respond to them. Most likely. Secondly, the American people at large don't really know precisely what security measures are taken by companies that manufacture voting machines and provide other election services. In fact, you know, between most states, there aren't even standardized voting machines. States and countries have the freedom to pick which vendors and machines they use. This means that there are no national security rules or best practices about what security steps should be taken. Today, the government has little control over these companies or their machines. What kind of uh, policies or what kind of best practices do you think would be best, just off the top of your head, to uh, make sure that these systems are more secure? I mean, one thing that comes to mind for a lot of people is the standardization of a system and then implementation of uh, standard policies and procedures that you need to go into protecting these, you know, just implementing certain controls and things like that. But there's also a degree of an argument to be had, as we'll come to see, about having a sort of diverse landscape of different systems. And when one goes down, it doesn't mean that the entire system goes down. Mm -hmm. Each right. has its benefits and drawbacks, but you know, you're still working with uh, electronic ballots that, that itself will continually pose a problem if that's what you're working with. Um, another question that I had just 
doing research on this topic and I was curious if you had any insight into it was um, like the after the effect, like how can you tell looking at data if, if an election or if, if a ballot was changed or not, like what are kind of the tangible effects that you see if you were investigating you afterwards? You, you, we, I, I was hinting at that earlier that you really can't easily. <laughs> you have, you have no way to base what somebody voted for. Uh, the guy actually goes into this pretty well. Um, oh, he does? So it's, yeah. So, I mean, I think it's not a bad question to pose, you know, to, mm-hmm. to pose to me and say like, this is something we could talk about, but I do, I do actually pose that question. Oh, great. Him. Awesome. Awesome. Yep. Awesome. No worries. I don't worry. I got you. I'm good at questions. Oh no, I know you are. I know you are. I just don't want to be uh redundant. I don't want to. Oh no, I, no, you're good. All right, cool. <laughs> all right. Do you want to finish? Do you want to finish up with this last bit here? Yeah, sure. Sure. So uh, there's all this. There's all. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> exactly. So I think all of these fear towards a future election has us thinking, well, what is being done to stop this from happening? And the most recent election cycle in 2016 highlighted the vulnerabilities of our election infrastructure and prompted some action from the federal government. So following the scanning of the 21 states that you mentioned, the Secretary of Homeland Security, Jay Johnson, declared state election systems to be critical infrastructure. So this designation allows state election boards to request security assistance, much like how nuclear power plants companies his designation allows state election boards to request security assistance, much like how nuclear power plant companies can. Also, 32 states now rely on the Department of Homeland Security for routine security checks. Last month, Congress allocated nearly $400 million to secure election infrastructure before the upcoming 2018 elections. And these funds will likely be used to implement more paper ballots, audits, and other cybersecurity upgrades. The fear among many security experts is that outdated voting systems are at the highest risk of being compromised, and replacing the systems is crucial to hardening the electoral system. To get a better sense of what goes into election system security, we're going to be speaking today with our expert. Hi, I'm Jeremy Epstein. I'm a Deputy Division Director at the National Science Foundation, where I manage programs in a wide range of computer science topics. And the opinions I'm going to share are my opinions and do not reflect those of NSF or the U.S. government. Well, thank you for joining me. So what classifies something as an election system? The scope of what constitutes an election system is something that differs from one person to another. Everyone includes uh, the voting machines. Um, People will include uh, voter registration systems, uh, uh, poll books, electronic poll books, uh, tallying systems, etc. So there's a wide range of definitions of the topic. That's fair. So in terms of you know, these, this wide landscape of election, of what could be classified as an election system. So how does one start providing cybersecurity for all these different aspects of it? There are many pieces that have to be addressed. Some of them are very much technical. Some of them are what we would call cyber technical, where humans and uh, technology have to work together. Uh, Some of these pieces, like voter registration systems, tend to be uh, internet-facing to allow online voter registration. perhaps in many places, uh, allowing requests for absentee ballots, that's going to be online. So those have one type of security requirements because they could be accessed from anyone in uh, in the world, anywhere in the world. Uh, others like uh, voter regist- uh, excuse me, um, uh, voting machines that are in the polling place uh, 
aren't hopefully exposed to everyone in the world, but at the same time, they're managed uh, by uh, people who are not uh, technology experts. They're managed by uh, poll workers who uh, are overall uh, older senior citizens, less technically knowledgeable, but they have to manage a complex system in a secure manner. So there's going to be a lot of different requirements for security across the different pieces of the election enterprise. Excellent. So in the area of like the online voter registration, what's the sort of like vulnerability or attack that one would expect in that area? There are many different types of attacks against voter registration systems. The simplest ones are certainly denial of service attacks and things like that, preventing people from getting registered. There's also uh, deleting voters from the voter rolls, and you see a lot of discussion of that. Um, and there are uh, socio-technical systems that can be used to get around that, for example, allowing voters to vote absentee ballots. The the more um, pernicious ones, if you will, are things like modifying uh, voter registrations. There was a case, um, and I don't believe this was an online case, but there was a case a number of years ago where somebody uh, deliberately changed the voter registration on a person from I don't remember if it was Republican to Democrat or Democrat to Republican, which you might say, well, what's the big deal? Well, the person was an elected representative, and when their party got changed, they suddenly became ineligible to be uh, representing their party in the next election, and they didn't know this, and so they basically got thrown out of office because somebody had changed their voter registration. Um, That's kind of an oddball uh, attack on a voter registration system that might uh, have an impact on a small number of people, but a severe impact on a small number of people. I was not aware of that at all. That's quite fascinating, really. I mean, I my first inclination was like, perhaps you would edit the date of when a voter registration was due to make people unaware of when their deadline was or something to that effect. But that seems quite serious. Actually. Yeah, the, there, are, there are many different types of attacks. We can also hypothesize fake voters being registered, uh, real voters being registered, but in places that they don't live or change of addresses being submitted. Uh, there was a case in Florida a number of years ago where um, A large number, I don't think it was ever disclosed how many, but it it seemed like thousands or tens of thousands of absentee ballots were requested through an online system, Uh, whether it was with the goal of disenfranchising the voters or whether it was in uh, attempt to cast ballots for those voters was never really clear. Uh, Someone was caught, and I believe they were convicted, but that's kind of a funny attack on a voter registration system. So there's a lot of separate areas for voter registration systems, you know, with different statewide sort of standards. How do you guys manage all the different policies? You know, people have varying capabilities in their, you know, their ballot systems in general. So how do you deal with that? Um, I think this is one of the challenges uh, that unlike some parts of the election enterprise, there's really no standardization in voter registration systems. Uh, There's somewhere in excess of 15 and maybe as many as 50 different voter registration systems in use in the states. Uh, It's not the sort of thing you buy off the shelf the way you buy you know, Microsoft Word or Adobe Acrobat, where everyone in the world is running the same version, each of the states, and in many cases, each county and city is running a different voter registration system. This is both an advantage and a disadvantage. It's an advantage because 
a bug in one is perhaps less likely to be a bug in another. So for an attacker to go after voter registration systems, they're going after a wide variety. This is uh, the, the notion of biodiversity applied to computing. Uh, on the other hand, it means that because each one is different, you have to secure each one of them individually, and most people don't have the budget to secure it. So most of them are most likely pretty weak since uh, nobody's had the time, the energy, or in many cases, the inclination to really secure those systems. Do you think that we should be moving towards a more standardized approach? Or do you think that it's more healthier in this kind of diversified landscape? I think the uh, cost effectiveness is such that uh, my personal opinion is that there should be some level of standardization. I don't want to see a monopoly with only one provider, but it would be really nice uh, if we could have a relatively standardized set of uh, capabilities and then invest the dollars in making sure they really are secure. It's impossible to test them today uh, because there's so many of them and they're all different. So... There's been some talk about moving towards less technical ways of voter registration and for just in general, less technical um, ballots. Do you think that it's a good idea? Is it more secure to move back uh, to less technically advanced methods or is, is what we have all right? So for voter registration, I think uh, doing things online is the right answer. I think there need to be more cross-checks. For example, if I change your voter registration address or party or whatever online, there should be a postcard, a, a good old-fashioned U.S. mail postcard sent to both your old and new address uh, saying, this is what we changed, and if you have a problem, send, call us up whatever. Um, sort of like a dual factor yes, authentication. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not exactly dual factor authentication, but it's a dual check. Right. And uh, you can reduce the potential for bad things happening that way. Um, but I would not want to go uh, away from online voter registration. I think uh, election officials, uh, and I'm not an election official, um, but election officials uh, take very seriously the mandate to make it possible for every eligible voter uh, to, in fact, vote. And we don't, they don't want to make it harder to get registered. And I agree with them. So what do you have to say about like less technical ballots? Do you have any thoughts on the matter? Or? So ballots are a, co a totally different story. Everything we know today, and this includes the past, say, 15, 20 years of academic research, is the best solution we have for ballots today is paper ballots. Um, I believe that uh, there are trade-offs in whether they should be hand-marked or machine-marked, um, the, the trade-offs having to do with time and money. Uh, between the two. Um, and machine counted is the right answer in my view with, and this is critically important, with uh, 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 risk-limiting audits or other forms of statistically valid audits so that we're making sure that if the machine malfunctions, whether uh, accidentally or intentionally, that we detect it and that we're not uh, relying uh, solely on software that, that might have bugs in it. So how much of this has been sort of theoretical? Has there been any confirmed hackings of any ballot boxes or anything like that? It's very hard to know because of the requirements for secret ballots. Uh, so how would we know if, in fact, uh, a system had been 
uh, manipulated. We know that in the uh, very few cases where there have been investigations after the fact, there have been um, anomalies, things that are sort of strange. Uh, but whether those were uh, innocent mistakes or whether those were attacks is very hard to tell. At this point, we have no confirmed attacks that I'm aware of um, uh, against uh, voting systems in the United States. That's good to hear. I mean, it's very hard to check the integrity of data if you don't have a baseline for the data to begin with. You, right. You need a baseline for the data. You need ground truth. Uh, and in particular, that's difficult with voting because of the need for secret ballots. We, it, it would be much simpler if we could uh, post a list of uh, on a website and say, uh, Jane voted for, for uh, Trump and uh, Joe voted for uh, Clinton. And everyone could look at it and say, hmm, I know Jane or I know Joe, and I don't believe that's what they actually did. But uh, that would allow us to detect patterns, perhaps, of manipulation. But nobody wants to really you know, go away from the secret ballot, and for very good reason. So do you think that we're moving towards more cyber attacks against our election systems? Do you, do you see us as improving the vulnerabilities that we have found so far? I think one of the things that came out of 2016 that was a, a little bit surprising to me and to, to many academics was that the attacks weren't against the voting machines, so far as we can tell, but rather were against the uh, wetware, if you will, the, the humans uh, and their thought processes and how they interpret information. So it, it was a different kind of attack than we expected. Um, I don't think there's much doubt that we will see increasing attacks on all aspects of attacks against voting systems. It's uh, a relatively low uh, uh, risk um, opportunity for an adversary, a nation state or otherwise, and the, the chances of being caught are low, the uh, impacts are high, and what we saw in 2016 showed that it can be very successful. So I expect that we will continue to see a, a lot and an increasing level of attacks. I think it's interesting in sort of like the the quote-unquote infrastructure of election systems that you kind of include like people, the wetware. I think mm -hmm. that's a, a very good addition to it, you know, that cybersecurity isn't just to the physical systems themselves or to the online databases. It's, it, it, is, it does involve the people themselves. Right. And people have been trying to manipulate how other people vote since there have been elections. What's different now is that one person uh, in a far-off country can manipulate an entire uh, country uh, through a, a series of keystrokes. And so the scope of what uh, can be done through manipulation of many different types it has grown dramatically. And so it's not the notion of, try, of one country trying to manipulate another country's election, but rather the scope of it and the ease of it. Is there anything that I didn't hit on that you think would be a good bit for our listeners? I think we, uh, we're seeing a move in a number of states, actually a majority of states, uh, allow some form of internet voting for some subset of the voters in most states. It's uh, for military and, and, and in some cases overseas voters. Um, in Alaska until recently, it was for all voters. I believe they've backed off on that. But there haven't been any serious uh, risk assessments of doing this. People are going forward saying if it's on the internet, it must be good. Uh, they're saying young people want internet voting, although there's actually no evidence that that, that it increases voter turnout. Uh, they're uh, in fact, the, the evidence is that uh, adding Internet voting does not do anything to increase or decrease uh, voter turnout. 
and it doesn't increase, uh, excuse me, it doesn't decrease costs. In fact, it increases costs. So um, I, I think we're going to continue to see a lot of push towards internet voting. And I think it's important to understand why this is not a good idea, which is uh, a point that is agreed to by pretty much uh, every uh, security person who's ever looked at the problem. It's just too hard. Uh, it's not impossible in the future, but we don't know how to do it today. And it's not just a matter, matter of bad implementations. It's a matter of fundamentally difficult scientific problems that we don't have uh fundamental solutions to. Yeah, you're really playing with fire the second you put it on the internet. You are playing with fire, and it's especially difficult uh, if you uh, if you bank online and you detect an error in your bank statement, you can go to the bank and they can look at it and say, hmm, maybe we'll, we'll correct that for you. And they have legal liabilities and requirements to change things. There's a requirement that, uh, that in most cases that, that you're right unless proven wrong. Um, which is different in the U.S. than some countries. But you can't do that in elections. You can't go to the Board of Elections for your town and say, Smith won and I voted for Jones and I think you counted my vote wrong. Uh, you can't prove how you voted and you shouldn't be able to prove how you voted. You can't prove that the totals were wrong uh, in in virtually all cases. So it's not just like uh, everything else. I hear many times, if I can bank online, why can't I vote online? And there are many reasons why that's not the case. Um, and I'm afraid that uh, there may be some rushing headlong into that uh, going on already. Well, we have to connect everything to the internet without right. any heat for cybersecurity. First. That's right. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciated having you on. It was great to be with you. Going back to the subject of election infrastructure, I think it's interesting how uh, Jeremy talks about how people, the registration systems themselves, the ballot systems, and then how the ballots are counted are all kind of separate domains of the infrastructure of election systems and how each of them could have an attack levied on them in different ways. Right. Like for registering voters, um, since most of it's done online, I'd imagine like a DDoS or like a denial of service based attack could prevent people from registering in the first place, which is like disenfranchising, but could influence uh, the ultimate election. Right. I mean, you could also just I mean, it's it's something that is combined with the first part, with the human populace that makes up the election, you know, just all the people who are participating in the election. If you feed them misinformation about not just the politics themselves, but if you just feed them misinformation about how they register to vote or what they're or where they're able to vote, you could you could sabotage their ability to vote themselves. Right. You could and say that the date to, to, to vote is two days later. You could say that you uh, you don't need a driver's license when you do, or you say that you could vote in this primary when you can't because you're registered for the wrong party to vote. Mm. I mean, you could just propagate all that as misinformation. Right, right. That's That's so true. You could send false links. You could send broken links. There are so many ways in which you could tacitly, subconsciously uh, influence someone to just not even bother to register in the first place. Right. But the, the end goal is you still want all these people to have access, you know, and you want to get out as many people to vote as possible. So, you know, you it's again, it's always a balancing act that you have to put on between the operation that you want to be going on and also the risks of just having it, you know, public facing on the Internet. And I, I think that, you know, that it is, it is better for it to be online just because that information should be readily available. And in general, it seems to be secure enough and it seems that people can at least fact check it enough and to maintain their systems well enough that it shouldn't be, this misinformation shouldn't be too bad of a problem. 
Mm-hmm. This becomes more of a problem when you have more widespread use of electronic ballots, because as we've seen, there's there's no real way to verify if if what you voted for was right. With a with a written with a paper ballot, you know who you pick is who you pick. But electronically, if you alter the way somebody voted, you're not going to be able to see that easily. Right, right. It's a lot harder to to dispose of a paper trail if you have the paper um, to to back up your assumptions. That's totally right. I'm curious, um, moving forward as we're talking about strengthening our electoral systems and and hardening it against fraud. Uh, I'm curious what are some of the like the best practices that we can equip people who are voters who are volunteering to vote or um, policymakers on like the actual boots on the ground in the electoral polling stations um, to to confront fraud as much as they can. Um, and I think I think a lot of ways like this election tampering is a form of fraud, but it's just fraud from abroad, if you will. That could be trademarked. Um. <laughs> yeah, I'll get on that. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you know, you know the good. You know, the good thing about this is that there are ways to get around the cybersecurity concerns for elections. And the answer, while it is annoying, you can go to these places in person. Just go to your local DMV to figure out information. Or, you know, you could always just look up information online, you know, your state's websites. But you could actually go to these places in person and you can you can get your voter registration by mail as well. So there are means that are available for you to get these things done. And they even will send you paper verification at times for when you're completing your registration. Right. That's a great point. What better way to get rid of a computer virus than destroying your computer? Right. I mean, it cuts out the middleman, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. And I think a lot of a lot of other uh, systems, I think, the okay, let me, let me back up. Um, in the expanding bureaucracy that is the United States government, um, in globalization, in the expanding uh, customer demand that we expect, we expect things now and we expect them like soon and fast and like well done. And one of the perennial issues of just government is that government can't always keep up with the demand of the citizens. Um, and so that that's had like a larger impact on the way we do government around the world. Like that increases uh, consulting, that increases like um, uh, outsourcing labor by the public sector into the private sector. But I think voting is one of those things where it's it's a ritual. It's like a public ritual. It's something that people do for uh, a public thing. And so I think doing something, taking it a bit longer, making it a little bit less efficient um, is something that is like a lot more politically feasible than say like paying your bills uh, by mail. I've never done that. I don't think we ever will in our lifetime. Uh, but that's like a, a cultural and social change that's happened. Whereas I think with like with voting, that's something that you, you have to go there physically. You have to do it in person. You can't mail it in. I mean, you can if you're abroad, but you can't like do it over the, over the computer and it's it's like a cultural thing that's expected not to change. So I think in that way, that's like an advantage on keeping it offline or off the grid, so to speak, except for like the, the machines that count it, which I don't think would even be connected to the Internet. Yeah, they wouldn't have to be. And again, those have a those at least have a way of verifying if those results are correct, because you could then still trigger a hand recount. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Right. When when you went to DEFCON, which sounds super cool, and I, I hope you had fun in Las Vegas. When you went to DEFCON, what was like the attitude? What was like the, the spirit in the room around, you know, this hackathon about these election machines, these voting machines? Sorry. You know, well, the, the spirit of DEFCON isn't like a super big industry thing. You know, these, these aren't people in suits saying like, oh, no, we need to ver- we need to verify the election network. These are a lot of people more just like, hey, can I break this? Uh, 
and hey, check all of these cool things I've broken. It really goes into showing the commitment people are willing to go to to try to break into something, just in general. But I mean, they definitely showed that it was possible with these older systems. And I, I think, you know, communities like this that can put issue onto the vulnerability of things and, and, and demonstrate it that like, this isn't just sci-fi fantasy anymore. Um, this is, this is, this is real, you know, it, it's a real threat and we need to think about what we can possibly do to mitigate it. Also, I mean, you're talking about the same people who hacked a car just so they could play video games by driving a real car, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, like, you know, you take what you get. Right, right. It's kind of that chaotic, chaotic neutral. <laughs> yeah, that kind of chaotic neutral sort of vibe. Yeah, yeah. That's super cool. Did you get to talk to any of the people there working on the uh, working on the systems? I didn't dwell super long in the election systems. I actually was very interested in the car hacking, which is probably something we'll go into at a later date. Right. But um, yeah, it was. I mean, I I was able to watch some. I was able to watch people go into it, but that's about it. Mm, 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 mm. So let's say, for instance, um, transport yourself. I guess transport yourself into the mind of um, one of these Russian hackers, maybe working for the same. Uh, organizations that have been infiltrating these systems in the past what is your playbook what would be your approach let's okay there's an election in illinois right and you want to change it what is your thought process how would you go into you know starting that process and we're talking like global you know any any strategies you want to use yeah, yeah. Uh, well, the very first thing I'd want to do is start scanning their network, which is what they did. Mm-hmm. I mean, you want to see what sort of uh, what sort of architecture, what sort of systems they're using, because that's really what's going to decide how you approach the problem. And, you know, the fact that they get caught in the scanning, while it's bad for them to be able to hack the system, is it's also not bad in terms of for them in throwing shade on the legitimacy of U.S. elections, because we don't know if they did anything further. Right, right. And also it's it's really hard to like face repercussions for something like that, just scanning. Like as we've talked in the past, like it's hard to say, oh, point to something for attribution or accountability and say like, oh, you caused this, therefore this will happen to you. If you're just scanning, it's kind of like a, a criminal casing a jewelry store by walking in and buying a ring or something. Um, yeah, so it could, uh, yeah, yeah. It certainly, it certainly makes it much more difficult to pro- uh, prosecute. Okay, so you're casing the joint. You're in there. You're looking around. You're snooping and snooping. What's your uh, What's your next move? I mean, the golden the golden ticket here is is the ability to change someone's vote in the mm-hmm. system if it's right. an electronic system. I mean, that's what you would want to be able to do, but that's not always possible. And again, if you're using paper ballots, that kind of is mitigated. At least you can't do it by computer. I mean, you could you could stuff it with actual ballots, but that's a different story. Mm-hmm. That would require some kind of robot system, which I think is beyond the scope of, of Russian hackers at this time. Oh, I mean, just people like stuffing ballots. But I mean, that's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> Not everything is about the robot u- uprising. Right. This, right. Is, this is this is one of those few topics that doesn't involve it. I, for one, voted for our robot overlords. Well, we all did. Uh, <laughs> what is it? that they're doing into like these electronic systems that actually change the votes? Is it just like a wholesale changing? Like I'm, I'm kind of, uh, could you kind of conceptualize that in a way that'll be a little bit easier to understand for our listeners? Yeah, sure. When people talk about like changing a vote, what's probably happening is that there's some sort of database with your name, some probably a little bit of information about you. And then it says who you voted for, for the specific things you're voting for. What they're just doing is going into your line, finding who you voted for and just changing that value. That's really all it is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right but again there's I, I think it's important to preface that there is no evidence of this happening yet and there hasn't been evidence 
that this has happened in the past either. Did did they manage to do that at Defcom? Uh, yes, but that was uh that was a known system that was vulnerable at that time, and it right. had been already removed from the public eye. Interesting. One of the things that I'm curious about with with like that, I think that it's called a white box, not a black box, but a white box exercise, is that it kind of removes the system behind that uh, that voting machine. So like what the Russians did, they you know they used spear phishing, they used like human um, error and like uh, communications with the the manufacturers and the distributors. Is that is that like implemented into like a DEFCON situation like that? No, not in this particular instance. Uh, the the DEFCON was really focused more on the actual system, like the physical ballot system itself. Right, right. Rather than the the infrastructure of election systems, which includes people, the registration, and then the counting. Those weren't really what was being targeted. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so the Secretary of Homeland Security, Jay Johnson, declared that the state election systems are critical infrastructure. Do you think that's like a fair assumption? Do you think it's fair to call something like voting systems a critical infrastructure? I think in a democracy it is, in an authoritarian government, probably they don't care about that. But I would say, yes, it is critical infrastructure for the United States and for other democracies or republics for that matter. At the end of the day, when it comes time to the midterms, it's better to just be knowledgeable about this. So be aware about what's going on when you're registering to vote this year and when you go out to vote in the midterms as well. Decrypted is based upon work supported by the National Science Foundation under grant number 1433425 for the CyberCorp program at the George Washington University. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this material are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views of the National Science Foundation.